You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, guys? It's Matt Wilson coming to you with another episode of the Live Different Podcast. This time, we are talking about mindfulness-based stress reduction and travel with none other than me. But I was interviewed on the Mind Hack podcast with a really, really smart young man named Cody McLean. Cody has a fantastic story, which of course we are going to link to in the show notes. He is a previous podcast guest, someone who I hiked the Inca Trail with, someone who owns a really big business here in Austin, has uh, I believe a couple hundred employees offshore in the Philippines and has a tremendous story. He was an orphan and lived in a foster home and just did some amazing things. And so I was on his podcast again called Mind Hack. So you'll hear him open up this one, but I try to lay out as much as I have learned over my life and my travels and deep dive into mindfulness, uh, meditation, yoga, even nutrition. We talk about all sorts of supplements that I take at the end. We mentioned some really cool people. Again, you can get all the show notes on mattwilson.co, but I thought that this one was pretty good and uh, that there was some value for the listener. So wanted to pass it on to you, get this content out there. Thank you guys so much for listening. I am honored to share this stuff with you, and I want to keep making the world a better place in my little tiny way if I can. And uh, hopefully you will take this episode and share it, share some of the practices with people that you love. Thank you guys so much. Listen in. You are listening to the Mind Hack Podcast with your host, Cody McLean, where we break down the routines, experiences, and mindset of successful people in order to help you live a more fulfilling and meaningful life. My guest with me here today is Matt Wilson, who is the co-founder and CEO of Under 30 Experiences, which is one of the fastest growing travel companies in the world. It was recently ranked 801 on Inc.'s 5,000 fastest growing companies. He's also the former co-founder of Under 30 CEO and is also the host of the Live Different podcast, which has interviewed everyone from NBA legend Karam Abdul-Jabbar to the president of Starbucks and many more. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, great to be here. Now, we we actually met a long time ago when I went out to hike in Peru on the Machu Picchu Trail. And that's that was our, our first experience together. And it was really profound to have met you for the first time. And I can see how you, you've had a lot of impactful experiences with the other people that you've traveled with. Thanks, Cody. No, I, I appreciate that. That was a, uh, a heck of a hike. And uh, yeah, enjoyed hitting the trail with you, the Inca Trail. Yeah, but then you started Under 30 Experiences a few years prior to us meeting up. And I'm wondering if you can explain what led to that and basically what Under 30 Experiences is all about. Sure. So uh, long story short, uh, Under 30 Experiences, as you mentioned, is a, a small group travel company for people ages 21 to 35. And we bring young people all over the world from Machu Picchu and Brazil and Costa Rica in Latin America, over to Iceland and Italy and uh, France and Spain. We have trips to Thailand, to Bali. So over 15, probably close to 20 different countries all over the world. But I really started it out of my own desire to go out, see the world, and not be chained to my desk. Like I saw so many of my friends doing and uh, just kind of chasing the dollar or people of the opposite sex or same sex, whatever you're, whatever you're into. But I, I really, uh, I just wanted to do something a little bit different. I was kind of in a rut in New York, working a lot, uh, partying a lot, being more destructive than I would have liked to. And I was going to use the word productive, but uh, I was being quite productive, but not in the way that I wanted to. I wanted to do it on my own terms. So Under 30 Experiences uh, was born. Wow, that's, that's brilliant. So Matt, how did you end up in New York City? What kind of a lifestyle were you living? And you said that you went on, you went to Iceland. That was your first trip. And then you had your, your first customer. He wasn't even a paying customer. 
but what led to that initial idea? It wasn't just, I mean, surely you were going to parties and you were doing these other things, but was it like a, an underlying sense of dissatisfaction? Were you unhappy? Were you depressed? What, what was that, that emotional trigger for you? Yeah, so I, I ended up in New York, honestly, because that's where people go to make it. I'm from the Northeast. And so I thought, oh, I got some buddies living in New York and they look like they're doing well. Uh, I should go there. I mean, it just kind of was what I thought the traditional path was all about and follow the money like they say. And so I got there and to be honest, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Jared O'Toole, my co-founder and I started a website for entrepreneurs called Under 30 CEO. And we're publishing news, advice, interviews, articles from all stories all around the world about young people starting businesses. And the website became very well read. We had at our peak a half a million monthly readers. And so it was it was exciting. And we were getting invited to quite a lot of big events. Uh, we cover them as press. And we were getting notoriety for our own startup being the media site. Uh, but it was kind of this kind of web 2.0 mini bubble, if you will. And so I think you know people were just so hot on young people coming out of the recession, starting their own businesses. And so we were invited to the United Nations and the White House and to the US Capitol and to all these places and you know being named to all these top lists and, and whatever. But it was really... It was very empty. It was a lot of ego stroking. It was a lot of just smoke and smoke and mirrors type thing where most of these startups, right, were they were raising a lot of money, but they didn't actually ever sell anything. And a lot of them crashed and burned. And I was part of one that crashed and burned, not under 30 CEO, but a, a company called Zarly. And so you see these types of things and it just I was really stressed out, working a lot. Uh, my habits were, as I said before, fairly destructive, uh, partying a lot. You know, my friends, when they'd get done with work at 8 p.m., well, they'd want to go out and have a few drinks. And there's nothing wrong with that until, you know, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It was, uh, it was pretty hardcore. And it just didn't, I don't know, it didn't sell, sit well with me. I was, Stressed, as I said, from pressure to just make rent. I mean, we had a, the business was making sure over $150,000 a year, but for two guys to live in New York City and bootstrap a startup, that's not a lot of money to go around. I mean, we were, we were still broke. I want to be very clear. So all of that really made me evaluate and start to look for opportunities where I could ask myself what I really wanted. And that, that ended up being starting under 30 experiences to start traveling. How did you find traveling as a way to escape that, that kind of hamster mentality of spinning the wheel, you know, getting money, living your job, sleeping, eating, repeating that process? What did you get out of travel? So I went on my very first trip to Iceland and I was just blown away by the volcanoes and the glaciers and the incredible sunsets, the northern lights, the biking people, all of these things, you know, the new cultures that I was experiencing. And I was in the outdoors and I realized that, oh, wait, I really love the outdoors. This is what I grew up doing, not traveling up internationally to Iceland, but uh, going in my backyard in upstate New York and going hiking and, and things like that. And I realized how much I, I love those types of activities, none of which were readily, readily accessible to me in New York. And I just thought, God, I, I got to do more of this. And I also reflected upon my peers who were all in the hamster wheel, as you say. And I thought, all right, I need new friends or I need other people that I can travel with. And this is where our community model came in. And that's, that's been one of the things that has made Under 30 Experiences most successful. And so when you were in New York City, I know I lived in LA for a little bit. And the problem I had with LA is I just had so many fake people around me that they would befriend me and they would 
feel like they would they, they wanted to be my friend, but then I would find out that you know they, they wanted to, to know me for a connection or they want to get something out of me. And it felt so difficult to discern somebody from a genuine, authentic person versus somebody who just wanted to use other people. Did you have that a similar experience in New York City? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, there's a group of guys who I played football and basketball with, and a lot of them were all in tech startups or working for Vayner Media or things like this. And it was really fun to be part of those that group. And we actually connected because we had we had mutual interests in sports. And so we went out, we competed, uh, we, it was a great network in venture capital, et cetera. But then I would go to some of these events and it was just, it just felt sleazy to be honest with you. It just felt like we're slinging business cards all over the place, trying to raise money for their startup. And yeah, we had something very valuable to offer new startups, right? And that's, that's press. And so once I kind of removed myself from that scenario, I felt so much more authenticity in my life. I wasn't concerned. You know, part of the part of the issue, Cody, that I had was this imposter syndrome where we would get named not to list like the Inc. 5000, right? Because you have to verify your revenue and all this, but we'd get named on these oh, 30 top entrepreneurs under 30 and, and these all these types of lists. And we were hanging out with all these people, but it didn't feel it didn't feel real. A lot of these people were just on there because they raised a bunch of money for their startup, which congratulations, that's difficult to do. But it just seemed like, yeah, people were just trying to get press for the startup and uh, had this facade on. And I could see through it and I didn't want to become like that. All right. And so you had a certain level of respect for yourself. You understood yourself to a degree of when you were in New York City. You knew that it wasn't connected to who you were as a person. And I'm wondering, when you started traveling, I feel like you, you've naturally always had this. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like you've naturally always had this mindset of openness, of accepting cultures, of accepting different beliefs. Is this something that you always had? Or is this something that, that you garnered as a habit, simply experiencing different cultures? I would say it's something that I picked up on. And, and as soon as I started traveling, or as soon as I started looking for other ways to open my mind, all of a sudden, I became very open-minded. I mean, my dad, for example, is just staunch Republican. I was raised in that type of environment. And now I, I can't even listen to anything that comes out of his mouth sometimes because it's so ridiculous. Uh, and not to get too political, but I was raised much more closed-minded. And so once I went out on my own, kind of the, the hero's journey where you really have to leave home and... Sure, living in New York City was leaving home, but it wasn't, it wasn't far enough. I need to really go out and see the world and experience it for myself. And a huge part of that was dropping all of these beliefs that had been programmed into me. I mean, from my beliefs about money to my beliefs about food. Of course, I mentioned politics, but just observing how the world works. Uh, studying, for example, something like Buddhism, the first thing they tell you is to question everything. And that was nothing that I had ever been taught before. And so then I started, you know, it was, I, I have to say it was really an eye-opening experience to, you know, look, it sounds cliche that people say, oh yeah, you travel the world and you come back and you see the world with new eyes or you see your hometown with new eyes. To me, it really was true. So I will repeat that cliche on your podcast if you let me, Cody. No, no problem with that. <laughs> so is there anything that, that you've learned about yourself through traveling? And also even how, do you, how did you maintain this habit of traveling? So you started a company that was about helping others, especially those under 30, live new experiences. And, and is, that, is that basically just kind of foreshadowing the, the problem that you were having and then you realize other people have that same issue where they, they feel stuck and traveling is a way to get outside, see the world and, and modify your beliefs and your mindset? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So 
I stood there on a glacier in Iceland and had that what am I doing with my life moment. And you're absolutely right. That did end up kind of the domino effect or the network effect really did happen as we started bringing more people on trips. They started opening up their minds and the community became full of some some really interesting people. And you know, a lot of my best friends to this day are are through under 30 experiences. But just having that one experience for myself that was so powerful, it just really, really had a, a strong impact on me. But I want to also mention the nuts and bolts of things you mentioned. How did I get into kind of this habit of traveling? Well, I was lucky enough to have a business in New York where I could work remotely. And so I was working from a, a little apartment in New York, which was quite expensive to live in lower Manhattan. And I realized that I could travel all over the world on that same budget and grow this business under 30 experiences while I had under 30 CEO running. So our first trip was actually a retreat for entrepreneurs. And so that's, we had a platform to get the word, word out. So I will note that part of it was being in the right place at the right time, uh, but also taking advantage of that opportunity and connecting the dots. All right. Is it luck begets opportunity? Is, is what I like to say that you have to put yourself in that position in, in order to be lucky. Sure, sure. Or, or the harder you work, the luckier you get. Yep. So you've, you've been able to also change the mindset and experience it and, and help people further their own experiences. And that's, that's also one, one of the things I appreciated uh, just meeting you in person is that you come off, you're very genuine, you're very authentic, and you don't get that, that same feeling from a lot of people. And I know that you've helped a lot of people through under 30 experiences, and that must be a profound feeling. That must be a profound why. You know, as Simon Sinek says, is we need to have a, a deep understanding about what makes us get up every day. And I know at least for you, in, in some part, it is to help people broaden their horizons and their mindset and beliefs. And you've seen people do things like quit their jobs and, and tons of other experiences, but I'll let you take it. What, what kind of changes have you seen in people that have gone on these trips and, and what's, what's led to that? Yeah, I would say, Cody, just people getting a little bit more in touch with themselves, hitting the pause button. I know that I had this very profound experience, but for most people, their experience isn't quite as profound and our trips can change the course of people's lives. But usually, it's a week where people can just reflect for a little bit and hopefully take a little something back to where they came from and say, yeah, I want to do that again. Or I would like to go hiking in my hometown sometime. Or, hey, wasn't that cool how our trip leader asked the waitress not to give our group straws. That's one of the things we try to do to be eco-friendly is in the beginning of the trip, we tell all of our travelers, Hey guys, look, if you'd like to help conserve this beautiful country where uh, we're bringing you, let's try to really reduce our, our use of plastic. And everyone says, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's uh, make our footprint a little bit smaller on this trip. But then if they can take that and bring that home with them, that's really powerful. And I know these are small things, but I mean, we have people who I, I mentioned hiking, but we have people who practice yoga for the very first time on our trip and realize, oh my God, there was a lot to that practice. I had a really nice experience or I feel amazing after that. This is a tool that I can add to my toolbox to be able to de-stress when I'm home. Or I could go on and on about uh, people getting in shape or are not volunteering uh, us participating rather in a community service project in a local community, somewhere where we go. And then people say, wow, that was really cool. I'd like to start my own nonprofit organization. So there's so many examples like this, but they can be really small. So I just don't want people to think like, oh yeah, sell them a trip to Iceland and your life is totally going to be transformed because that's not the point of our trips. But hey, if you go out there and you have a lot of fun and you connect with other people and something does click inside of you, that's what we're looking for. 
Yeah. And, and for me, your trips, Matt, is is when I signed up for that first trip, it was about getting outside of my comfort zone because I'm I'm somebody that's very somewhat neurotic. And I'm also, I love being inside in my cave working all the time. And it's so easy to get stuck in this routine where you wake up every day, you do these same things over and over again, and you develop patterns. You know, your, your neurons that fire, they, they wire together and it's so easy to just stay in that routine. And then you can end up building destructive habits and destructive behavior. And one of the ways to get out of that, of course, is to travel, is to get outside. And the thing is, I always had so much anxiety about leaving home, especially being single, not having anybody else I I feel like I could actually travel with, that your group allowed me to go outside my comfort zone and not have to worry about what are all the things about planning out the trip, because the only thing I had to do was book the ticket. I'm not advocating for your service that anybody should sign up for it, but it's something that helped me. And I know just a travel group like that, it can be found for somebody, especially when we're having much higher rates of of depression and anxiety than we've ever seen before. No, I, I could not agree more, especially with that depression bit, because when you do force yourself to get out of your comfort zone and you all of a sudden experience new sights, new sounds, new tastes, uh, feeling new, new things. I mean, this is one of the very best ways, in my opinion, to break yourself out of a rut like I was in. I wasn't clinically depressed, but I know a lot of people who have been and that travel was a fantastic way to, to give them hope. And, and even on a small front, like one challenge I try and do is every weekend I try and do something new, right? I go to a park I've never been. I, I hike somewhere I've never been before. And it's difficult to try and do new things. Like having a habit of doing something different every week is actually a lot more difficult than it sounds. But even something like that, as small as that is, can make a huge profound difference. So you don't always have to travel and go to Europe or Africa uh, or Asia to try and have these new shifts in perspective. Something as like simple as that could have a, a good impact. Totally. Set up your tent in your backyard and sleep under the stars. All of a sudden, you're, you're a little bit out of your comfort zone there. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about what you said a little bit earlier about noticing straws. And I think that comes back to mindfulness and noticing the small things in life is that uh, you know, when we get into these routines, you know, it's just like making a cup of coffee. I know a lot of people who will have this routine where they have to drip coffee and they have to wait for it to drip down. And then they might get something like a a Keurig machine that makes the coffee for them. And so their morning is more efficient, but they've noticed that over time, they actually, they miss that, that process, that routine of, of making that coffee manually, because it was a form of mindfulness that you had to take time to appreciate that moment. And I think that is something important, even when you're when you're traveling. Nobody ever takes pictures and posts pictures on Instagram of when they're feeling like crap traveling, you know, in a ten hour flight. You only see the picture at the peak, you know, and and everybody has this false reality of what travel is. But there's also the ability to notice those small things in travel. I'm curious if you have anything else to add on top of that about mindfulness and noticing small things in travel. Sure. I mean, uh, two things. One, I will certainly advocate for having your routine of as a coffee drinker myself. I mean, every morning I, I French press and you know, you get all the polyphenols and the antioxidants because you're not filtering it and you're doing it the old fashioned way. But I love taking my little hand grinder and, and actually grinding fresh organic beans. So that's a little, a little side note, but that is a moment of mindfulness for me in the morning. But mindfulness can be absolutely everywhere. And sure, it's fun to smile for your picture at your peak experience, like you mentioned, Cody. But the, when mindfulness really comes in, extremely handy is when things are not going well when you're really having a hard time, when your flight is delayed or you find out that something bad happened back home or you know, who, who knows when you get lost or, or your wallet gets stolen or all of these very challenging times. I mean, to me, that's where mindfulness comes in 
most handy because then you don't say the things that you regret or you don't take years off your life because you got so stressed out and uh, you're able to stay a little bit more even keeled through the entire trip. And that's where, you know, it's, it's a journey. It's a, you're supposed to enjoy all parts of it or as, as much as, as you can, or at least be mindful of the parts that you're not enjoying, being able to observe your emotions <laughs> and just try to still be kind to the people around you. Like the poor lady behind the desk at the airlines is a, is a perfect example. So that's where mindfulness and travel comes in strongest for me. Right. Yeah. And it's so easy to want to push away a negative emotion. And often that's what leads to anxiety and depression. But I think there's a certain aspect of just sitting with that emotion, not not pushing it away. And that, that comes back to mindfulness. So I'm curious, what is your mindfulness routine like? How did you how did you get there? So I started practicing yoga in New York in, let's call it 2010, uh, sometime around there. And at first, it was the off day from my workout. And I went to New York Sports Club, and it was kind of noisy. It wasn't this perfect, zen, serene feel that you might picture in uh, Bali or in Costa Rica or something. But it was a stretching exercise. And I said, oh, that stretching exercise actually feels good. I do feel less stressed. There's something there. I should really try to do this more often. And so I did. And then I you know, signed up to go to a real studio. And then there was like a, you know, 30 seconds of meditation before or after the class. And I thought, oh, that was, that was really neat. And maybe... And I, I would actually listen to the little talk that the teacher would give. And I started to realize that this isn't the practice isn't about standing on your hands, etc. And so I started, I started like that with with yoga, and then I developed a daily meditation a practice. Uh, you know, there's tons of apps out there. I've I've used a lot of them uh, before. I kind of developed my own practice, and you know, I listen to many podcasts on the subject, listen to a lot of books on the subject, and just continued from there until it became a true lifestyle, until it was something that was part of me. And I realized it doesn't have a whole lot to do with how long you can sit on this mat or sit in lotus position or whatever. It's Again, it's not about the fancy pose or the, the perfect stillness of the mind. It's how you carry that into your everyday life. And that has been tremendously beneficial in in my journey. Do you have any examples of how it's been beneficial? Sure. Uh, Geez, where to to even begin? I mean, I, I mentioned, of course, just like air travel. That's one of the biggest things when people around you are freaking out. Uh, it's really nice to be able to just get back into contact with your breath. Flights are actually one of my favorite places to meditate. Almost every flight, I'll I'll put my headphones in for a minimum of 20 minutes. And if I'm just going to nap, sometimes I find it better just to to meditate. And, you know, I'll I'll go for an hour plus because I I just, I enjoy it so much. Um, Is there a particular part of the flight that you like to meditate? Yeah, actually, to really dive into it, I really enjoy it landing. Uh, first of all, that's when when people have a little bit of fear of flying. I, I wouldn't say that I'm afraid of flying, but occasionally I get nervous, I think, like anybody. But to dive deep into the practice, I actually feel a lot more energy moving or, or take off is cool because you can feel yourself being really sucked back into the seat, like the, the G-forces or a you know, you would say the kundalini energy moving through your body, but any time is is good. Yeah, and and for me, I've noticed that I've I've done that not like perhaps just meditating as one would think meditating, mm-hmm. but say I'm on on landing, I'll close my eyes, I'll listen to this this space screaming sound on repeat, or I'll even just turn it off and I'll just hear the sounds of the cabin. I'll hear when the flaps go up, when the landing gear goes down. And I just try and imagine that by shutting out the visual sensory input, 
at the same time sequentially imagine where the airplane's at, what's happening with it, but then also being able to be present with any anxiety that I have or excitement and to try and live that. And I think a, a huge issue with travel and anxiety in general is that we have it, but we don't realize we have it. You know, and I think that's where mindfulness is so helpful. Sure, or people just don't want to admit uh, they have it. But that's that's funny, Cody. I, I will do a similar thing. I always like to try to predict, or like I'll picture myself kind of as the airplane and coming down. And there's that part with experienced flyers might be able to tell that the captain actually has to pull up a little bit. I think to put your nose in the air to land. You know, you don't want to land nose first. And so I can always kind of feel that as you come down in the airplane. And so it's, yeah, it's just, it's just a neat feeling. It's something that's really enjoyable. And it, it does take your mind off of any fears or, or, or like you said, okay, recognize the fears that you have and be nice to yourself about them and say, Hey, I recognize this is popping up for me. Okay. That's cool. This is a common thing. <laughs> Statistics say, right. Uh, we're going to live here. So just be cool with it. And so in the past, before you started meditating or practicing yoga, so for me, when I started meditating, the example I always bring up is that I I started to meditate and then I would always get up and grab a snack, but I wouldn't actually ask myself, why am I getting a snack? I just sort of consciously thought, okay, I'm hungry. Let me get something to eat. But it took a long time. But once I started meditating, I started to actually, one time I questioned, wait, why am I getting up to go grab a snack? And I made this epiphany that it was because I was procrastinating. I hit this email, this thing I didn't want to handle. And for those of you who don't know, procrastination, it's an emotion, really. is It's a negative emotion. And just understanding that through mindfulness helped me to understand so I can try and change that, that behavior. And I've also been in other circumstances earlier in my life where I would have panic attacks and I would let kind of, I would go down the rabbit hole of that thought. And I'm, I'm curious in, in your experience, especially when it comes to mindfulness, you know, it's like easy to have a mindfulness routine, but it's, it's more difficult to see how it impacts your life. Are there any specific examples or things that you can think of that uh, previously you would just let your mind go wild or you would just have one anxiety of like, oh my God, I forgot my passport. And then you think, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm screwed. And, you know, you just kind of easily, so many people could just easily go off the cliff, right? How have you been able to catch yourself? Are there any circumstances, uh, et cetera? Sure. So, so many examples. And uh, thank you for really diving in and helping portray this point to the listeners uh, that mindfulness can be a tool that you can use absolutely at any time. I think the food example is the easiest example that you can use. Actually, I'm taking an eight-week course right now, now MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, and people can find it online for free if they're interested. But it was developed by University of Massachusetts Medical School. And the very first required reading is mindful eating. And so when I sit down to eat, I no longer eat with a shovel, I like to say. I actually take a breath and I recognize that there are, uh, I'm really fortunate to be in this position where I can have all these great foods. Some of these foods are from around the world. You know, hopefully a lot of the foods are also local and I am mindful about that. And I say, wow, wasn't that nice that I was able to go down to the farmer's market and buy this? from that person who actually dug this up with their their hands and you know I'm really fortunate that I have clean water that I can be able to wash this lettuce with and have this nice salad and so I try to go through that and really taste the food that's the biggest thing I, actually in ayurveda they say which is the uh, kind of lifestyle behind yoga if you will or the science of life as I think it translates to it's really, they say you make the food taste, the food doesn't actually taste. So if you're mindful, then, oh my God, the taste of food can be extraordinary. But I never really cared for food before I started meditating because it was just a chore that I had to do. Another thing on the list, oh my God, you got to eat this many calories and this much protein and this many grams of fat. And Oh, look at myself. I, I want to change how my body looks. Uh, I'd like to have more muscles and I got to choke this down and blah, blah, blah. And it was, it was never fun. So 
you know, that's a really easy example to start with. And I also wanted to note that still to this day, I find myself with anxiety about, uh, do I have my keys in my pocket? Or, hey, do I have my passport with me? When you said that, that triggered me uh, slightly. Or did I remember to get cash before the trip? Or do I have my return flight booked? And so there's always a long list of things that is, is going on in my monkey mind that I do try to quiet. And I have a lot of habits. Uh, I've worked with a, a neuroscientist, Dr. Andrew Hill in, in UCLA. And we've looked at my brain and you can see the chatter in a, a QEEG scan. And you can see that, all right, I am the way I am with all these habits because, well, I had ADHD and my mind was all over the place. And so I needed to develop all of these funky little habits, like checking to see if my keys were in my pocket 20 times a day. And uh, I worked on that. And now I try to take a breath, check my keys and try not to check the damn pocket 20 other times. So that was a little little aside there for you, but it's still something I'm, I'm practicing and it will be a lifelong practice. And one of the things I remember, I, I don't know if I got this from the Walking with Einstein book about uh, having a, a fantastic memory, uh, but every time I leave for a trip, one of my greatest anxieties is like, did I forget to lock the door? And so one thing I'll do is I'll say crazy pink elephants and I'll just think of some a lot of random crazy words and sometimes I'll throw some cuss words in there. And it basically makes it almost unforgettable that I definitely locked the door. Oh, interesting. Yes. Uh, so that's helped me significantly. And even when I, when I come home, I, I know it's easy to place your phone and your keys and your wallet somewhere. And then when you have to leave, you're like scrambling, oh crap, where did I put my wallet? And I've been able to get into the habit of always having a specific place. So the first thing I come in, I hang my keys, I put my wallet and I put the phone on the charger. And I never have to worry about where it is or misplacing it. And that's been helpful for me personally. No, that, that's great. Another little one that I use for memory. <laughs> My girlfriend will always tell me, Hey, can you pick up these three things from the supermarket? And I guarantee I will forget one of them, which is sounds like I have a terrible memory. But I try to walk myself through a house and in each room... I put one of those things. So I go back in my head to the house that I grew up in where I know the best. And in the living room, I will see a huge pile of cucumbers. And then in the dining room, I will see a huge thing of bananas. And then in the kitchen, I will see whatever the third thing is. And I try to visualize it like that. I can't remember where I picked up that tip, but it does work. That, yeah, that's called the memory palace. And that I definitely got that one from the Walking with Einstein book. Mm. Okay, I'll have to put that book on, on my list. Uh, there is a course about the learning brain, the great courses. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, Cody, but they have, yeah, they offer tons of, well, great courses. And uh, I started taking one of them. I think that's where I got that from. Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah, I actually, I, I just finished another one. I know I, there's one about stress, but they're basically audiobooks, but they're like 12 to 20 hours long. And so it can take a very long time to go through them. I actually just finished one on uh, CBT therapy and you pick up little things throughout them. But yeah, that's fantastic. I'll probably have to look at that, the course about the learning brain. And uh, another memory system that I've actually been practicing, though, there's spaced repetition systems, right? Kind of basically like flashcards. And one of them I've been is with something called the PEG system. And it's creating associations with different numbers and other images. So things like from like one through 10. So one is sun, two, I forgot what two is, but four is poor, six is sticks, eight is gate, seven is heaven. Try to associate like numbers or different things with a visual stimuli. And it makes it much easier if you look up like a, a list of words uh, or, or a list of numbers, you have that association and it's much easier to create uh, basically a story that would allow you to kind of move from one to the next. And it can be pretty great, but obviously I'm still learning my systems. For sure. No, that, that is something I have a lot of interest in. I can, I can use all the help that I can get in the memory department. But I wanted to, to go back to uh, when you were talking about mindfulness and 
basically what you were referring to was a gratitude exercise about being grateful for the food that you have. And I'm curious, did you always have this? this sense? I'm, I know that you didn't always have a sense of grat- gratitude with food, uh, but are there other areas or other exercises that you perform that allow you to change your mindset from picking out the negatives and looking at the positives? That's interesting. I'm thinking back to Thanksgiving at my family and we were the family who somebody would say, hey, who wants to say grace? And then everybody would say grace at the same time to be, <laughs> to be make a sarcastic joke out of it. But uh, no, to be honest, I did grow up with in an environment where we were very grateful for what we had. And uh, that was something that my parents really did instill in me. I, I would give them a lot of credit there. But through yoga, through meditation, gratitude just is a common theme. When you were talking, I didn't quite realize that it was a gratitude practice. But yes, of course it is. And uh, I try to be grateful. Yeah, I try to be grateful as, as best I can. Uh, I've done gratitude journaling, which you just wake up and write the things that you're grateful for, especially if you're in a slump. Once gratitude kind of becomes a habit, of course, you can go always go back to a tool like the gratitude journal. But uh, I try to wake up and sometimes I'll, you know, I'll do my meditation practice and I'll recognize people in my life who have helped me get to this point. I'll send love to my dad or to my mom or to my brother or my nieces or, or stuff like that. And yeah, it just kind of becomes ingrained in you, which is, is very interesting. But of course, to build habits like that, it takes years of practice and well, being mindful about when, especially during the times when, ooh, you might have been a little ungrateful, you might have acted a little bit entitled. And uh, we're, we're quite, if anybody is listening to this, they're probably a quite privileged person in the scheme of things that they have access to the world's information on a podcast. So yeah, I mean, we can all do it. And I think the first step is admitting it. And uh, yeah, it's a constant battle, constant practice. Yeah. And, and one of the questions I always had when I, I was younger, but I've later kind of learned or just through the experience when it comes to mindfulness, you know, if you want to reduce your stress, if you want to be less depressed, for stress reduction, that can be mindfulness. For depression, that can be gratitude. And it's difficult at first to think, how can, say, I wake up and I write down three things I'm grateful for? How can that translate into being more grateful? In my experience, it's created kind of trigger points where I'm in a, a bad situation. Say I've traveled and I, I forgot my, my charger to my, to my MacBook which has happened before. And then I just had all these terrible thoughts of like, how am I going to work? Uh, and then I tried to look up and there was no like Apple store in the area I was traveling to. And I was able to catch myself in that anxiety because we, we have all these like worst case scenarios go through. But then I was able to realize like, wait, I'm, I'm traveling. I'm not a lot of people have this ability. This is also an experience for me to not work and to try and be more present in the destination that I'm flying to. So it, it helps you to reframe a lot of your, your problems in life. And then same thing with stress is that I, I find myself in a stressful event and my default wasn't just to like, okay, I'm just going to shut everybody else around me. I'm going to sit on the floor and, and I'm going to do some meditation. You know, this doesn't work like that. It's more like I'm able to catch, catch that anxiety and I'm able to reframe that. And I'm able to realize, oh, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm just going to drop it. And I'm just going to focus on something else. And so that's how these exercises, whether it's mindfulness or, or gratitude, that's at least personally how it's helped me. Sure. And Cody, I, I'm, I'm happy that you're able to zoom out and see the bigger picture on that. And that's not easy for, for everyone. And I also don't want people to get frustrated when they say, oh my God, look at all these amazing things that I have in my life. I still don't feel well, or I still have depression, or yeah, I am having just a crap day. And yeah, I am extremely ungrateful right now. And sometimes you just have to recognize that and be be cool with it and kind to yourself about it and hope that things get better. And 
I just want to make sure that people don't beat themselves up too hard, especially when they first start practicing this because it kind of be a big slap in the face when you write this massive list of things that you should be grateful for, except you also feel like you're behaving like a spoiled child. And that's okay. That's just part of the process. Yeah, and, and, and that always reminds me of a fantastic episode by Tim Ferriss and Dr. Gabor Mate, where uh, this doctor who's been dealing with depression, anxiety, and addiction for a long time, we always have this negative view of ourselves that uh, we hate or, or we don't want that, you know, and we're always trying to improve and get rid of these parts of ourselves. But he thinks it stems back from a childhood trauma, but he likes to refer to it as a stupid friend. So you don't hate that part of yourself, but he's kind of like a stupid friend. Like he's your friend, but you don't really listen to him, but you still love him anyway. And I think that's the perfect way to view every part about yourself, the parts that you despise is you're never going to get rid of that until you have a certain level of gratitude and you can accept that that part of you played a role in your life. And maybe it's not helping you right now, but to love and accept that is really one of the first steps in my view to growing out of that and improving yourself. Wow, that's great. I had never heard of the stupid friend, but it makes so much sense. That's uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to think about that. So I know that we, we just talked a lot about mindfulness and you run a travel company, but I want to pivot a little bit and get into about what your routine is. I mean, I know that your routine is a lot different today uh, than it was uh, many years ago when you were living in the city. Uh, and I know obviously you travel a lot, but can you explain perhaps what your routine was in New York City and also what your typical routine is now? Sure. So uh, living in New York, I was kind of the person who would, well, for one, set their laptop actually on their lap and fry their testicles with electromagnetic radiation and you know be on that thing until five minutes before you were going to go to sleep. And then I just set it under my bed. And then when I wake up in the morning, I probably reach under the bed, grab my laptop and start working again. And of course, my, my habits and practices in New York included Whiskey Tavern uh, until odd hours of the morning. If anybody is in Lower Manhattan, check out Whiskey's on Baxter Street. It's a fun place, but also very dangerous. I'm glad that part of my life is over. Uh, and crappy food. I mean, I used to eat street meat. I mean, that's just embarrassing. So I was really obsessed with lifting heavy weights. And uh, I still like to lift heavy weights, but I realized that I don't want to just be one dimensional in uh, my training. And so that kind of gives you a little peek into what my life in, in New York was like, in, including just a, a massive amount of stress and not getting a whole lot of vitamin D or, or fresh air. Now, so I'm coming to you from Costa Rica where I spend most of the year. I also spend a lot of time in Austin, Texas, where I know that uh, you live, Cody, and, and you seem to really enjoy, but I like that there's a lot of green spaces there in Austin. And so that was a huge draw for me there where I could keep up some of these habits. But today, you know, I'm in, in Costa Rica and basic routine, wake up. Uh, I'll really go into detail for, for everybody. Wake up, I go to the bathroom. First thing, yes, number one and number two. And uh, then I sit to meditate. I think that's really important. I try not to drink any water before I do that so I don't have stuff moving in my, in my belly. Also, I like to... After my meditation, uh, I like to do coconut pulling, which again is a, another Ayurvedic remedy to get all of the bad bacterias out of your mouth. So I try not to wash them down with a glass of water first thing. But yeah, I, I like to swish around coconut oil five, 10 minutes in, in my mouth. It is a kind of a mindful behavior while I'm making my French press coffee. So I'm boiling filtered reverse osmosis water, French press. So uh, as I said before, you're getting all the antioxidants and polyphenols and it's not being filtered out. Uh, there's no waste from it. I dry out the grinds and uh, my girlfriend makes them into a, a natural body scrub. 
yeah, enjoy my enjoy my cup of coffee, and that's when I kind of start to catch up. Yeah, kind of catch up on the day. I wish that I was better at not checking my email and my Slack and occasionally social media. I'm better about social media, but we have people working in in all time zones, including Asia and Europe, who've been working all day and and uh, into the night on the team. So I like to give them quick responses, and I am a, a bit of a well, I won't say anxious, but uh, I'm not the most patient person. If you hung out with me, you'd probably think I was very patient. But I like to get things done quickly. So I like to get people their re- responses. So I scan my inbox and write back who I need to or scan my Slack. But after that, I write. And so that's another form of mindfulness. And uh, I'm writing a book right now, The Millennial Travel guidebook, uh, trying to get more people out there and, and traveling. Um, but after that, I kind of go into to my work day. If I'm working from... This is this is when I'm working from home. I also will go to a co-working space, either in Austin or here in Costa Rica. We do have a little co-working space. And uh, yeah, I could go on. But that's that's the early morning. I wanted to go into as much detail as, as possible. Uh, I will supplement with magnesium every day in the morning. It is also a, a nootropic. It helps me feel a little bit more calm and almost everyone is deficient in magnesium and there's not a lot of not a lot of things you can make blanket statements uh, about supplementation, but that is one of them that I, I feel comfortable about. Yeah, I try to be maniacal about these things, but not to a fault where I'm like, freaking out when I don't have one of these things. Like I want to get up and, and meditate. But yeah, I, I try to also be centered and realize if the day doesn't go perfectly, that's okay too. Uh, sometimes I don't get to my writing because there's a fire burning somewhere that I need to put out metaphorically. Yeah. I know with my own exercise routine, if I missed that or if I had a meeting and I, I wasn't able to get to it in the morning, I feel like it disrupts my whole day. And it's much more difficult to get back into that flow of knowing what I, I have to work on because I feel like it's sort of like the opposite of people who want to exercise is that, you know, like the few times they do exercise, they feel good. But when, when you have this ingrained habit of exercising every day is that if you miss one, you feel bad and it feels like it's something that you have to do every single day. So do you have any any of that as well? I assume. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, okay, I will feel bad emotionally, I guess, if I don't get up and meditate. I really don't ever miss a day. But if I have to catch a flight in the morning, I'll meditate on the plane, right? I'm not gonna wake up extra, extra early for my meditation practice that I know I'll get done later. And then after work, I try to sit or occasionally during the middle of the day, if I'm working from home or come home for lunch, I just take five minutes and sit and relax because I get get really amped up. I get really revved up during the day, especially if I have that second cup of coffee and I haven't eaten yet. Yeah, we, have, we didn't even get into, into that yet. But I really am careful to monitor my stress levels and my anxiety levels. But exercise, I used to be that way, to be honest, Cody. But then I've kind of learned to listen to my body more. Uh, When I was in my early or mid-20s, it was my only form of stress relief. And I just had to have it. But now... I'm a lot more cool with doing a light exercise or going for a walk or going to the beach and telling myself, or, or hey, taking a nap. I rarely take naps, uh, but I know they're very good for me. When I do need one, I should take a nap and not go do some masochistic workout. So I, I try to commend myself for making the right decision and listening to my body. A coffee nap, right? Uh, we have coffee and then you sleep for 20 minutes and then, then it kicks in. <laughs> that has never worked for me. I think I have too much psychosomatic. Like uh, as soon as I hit it, hits my lips. It seems to be working, even though the caffeine doesn't kick in. Like you said, for for twenty minutes. But if I got a cup of coffee in my hand, I am either sitting around to chat, and I feel like the coffee is making me talk more. It just is a relaxing thing for me, or I, it's it's work mode. You ever tried coffee with L-theanine? 
It's a good question. I don't think Four Sigmatic makes a L-theanine in their coffee. No, um, I have some CBD oil that I'll take with L-theanine at night, but no, I, I've never did it. Does it uh, kind of make the caffeine buzz a little bit more stable and have less of a crash? Yeah, it, it's it's really known as as really like the most basic nootropic of you have that caffeine and the L-theanine really helps to eliminate the jitters. And so any anxiety you would get from caffeine, it, it really reduces that because whenever you're trying to work, you know, as, as with flow, uh, you want to find that Goldilocks zone where you're, you're not too stimulated, but you're not understimulated. And it, it's been generally helpful for a lot of people, but uh, probably much like yourself, like me, we probably both take way too, too much caffeine. So we probably don't even get anxiety whenever we have caffeine anymore. Just on a quick note, I want to add, so you, you said that you take magnesium and that helps you with your anxiety and obviously everybody's deficient in that. Is there anything else you take on a regular basis? Like do you drink your mate? Uh, anything else that helps you get into that flow of writing and, and being productive? So the one thing that just has been amazing for me is lion's mane. So uh, I take a uh, four sigmatic lion's mane and I try to yeah, a few times a week, I would say, when I think about it, it's kind of my afternoon tea. Uh, I had one before I came on here because I know I'm, I'm probably going to go out for lunch after after this and, well, the lion's mane won't be available. Uh, but I did mention, yeah, I'll have a second cup of coffee. Actually, what I've been doing more recently, so I'm doing less intermittent fasting. I realized that... Two, that usually if I'm fasting, that will lead to a second cup of coffee and then more jitters and higher cortisol. And I was actually able to see that in my labs, uh, that my cortisol was a little high and you definitely don't want that. But I can also feel that if I'm on my second cup of coffee and then it's uh, about 9.30 in the morning and that's when things really start to they go wrong or people start asking me a lot of questions around 9.30. Let me just put it that way. And my time to myself and writing is definitely over by then. And if I haven't had something to eat, then I'm a little bit more on edge combined with that second cup of coffee. But to answer your question, uh, supplements that I really like. So I try not to supplement with things unless I really know a lot about them or I know that it is good for, for me and my body. So please don't just copy what I'm doing. Uh, but glutathione is something very interesting to me. I have an MTFHR deficiency or not deficiency. In my genetics, you can see that my body doesn't detox as well as it could. Let's, let's put it that way. And so glutathione is one of the things that I can take that helps that uh, pathway a little bit better. And so that's something that I take every day. I just feel really good. Uh, now with antioxidants, I try not to take them around my workout period. I don't work out until the afternoon. So if I'm going to take a ashwagandha or I'm going to take a coenzyme Q10 or something like that, I'll do that in the morning. So uh, hydrogen is another amazing antioxidant that I really love that I'll, I'll take during the day. It just makes me feel better. And it's part of kind of my anti-aging protocol. Vitamin C is another antioxidant. So if I didn't sleep so well, or somebody around me is sick, or I'm experiencing uh, extra high stress levels, I will take vitamin C. Kind of The more stress, the more vitamin C that you should probably take. I'll take 1,000 milligrams and not think too much of it. But yeah, those are some of my basics. Uh, I don't try to go too crazy and I try to cycle on and off things. Uh, but yeah, that would that would probably get someone started. Yeah, that's, that's a good response. Uh, and I, I know even even my own experience is that it's, it's so easy to just think that, you know, any supplement or pill is going to be the magic solution. But really, maybe maybe it's like 10% of that, you know, and, and the other is really your, your mindset and how you approach things. And even I was just reading a, a recent study. Uh, it was actually not recent. It's from 2012. That, that initial fatigue that you experience whenever you're, you're on a task that you don't want to do or you're, or you're working out and you're exercising, that initial fatigue that hits you, that's really a mental. It's actually an emotion. It's not actual fatigue. 
And and scientists have have theorized that that initial fatigue, even when it comes to working and having that feeling of like, I don't want to work anymore. It's actually a built-in emotion to protect us from overexerting ourselves. And the most successful athletes, they are able to mentally push past that fatigue. And then they're able to get back into that flow. And so I think that's an important thing to, to being able to recognize that and not always just resorting to a supplement or feeling like you need a supplement in order to be productive or to have a good day. Sure, or, or coffee or breathing exercise or whatever whatever you need. Sometimes I'll just go and do 20 air squats when I need a little bit of a, a change of pace, when I need to shift to the, the next task on my list. Um, but also I try to pay attention to why don't I want to do this? Maybe my body's trying to tell me something and let me not push too hard because I spent a lot of my... A lot of my life so far, of course, still very young. I'm 33, but I've spent a lot of my life really pushing it too hard and, and redlining my body, as you could say. And so, yeah, I try to listen to that more these days so that I can have a very long, successful career rather than a short one. As we near the end here, I wanted to ask about your, your book that you're writing. And can you tell me a little bit about that? Do you have any expected release date and where they can find that? Sure. I will tell you the first thing about writing a book is it's very difficult. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a beast. I, I want to write, uh, again, called the Millennial Travel Guidebook. And I want to help people get out there and travel more. And so it starts with very basic stuff on mindset and asking yourself, why don't I travel more? Or why do I live my life like this? Or what are my limiting belief patterns? Or how do I prepare for that tough conversation with my partner or my parents uh, or my best friends about, oh, I'm going to go and, and go somewhere. And maybe you're from a town where nobody ever leaves or travels and people look at you weird and say, hey, shouldn't you be saving for the, uh, the house, the ring, the car, the traditional path, etc.? Your behaviors will trigger other people. So that's how the book opens up. And then we really get into stuff about what's the best way to book flights and hotels and how to set up your travel, how to get around once you get to a destination. So basically, it's all the things we've ever been asked at under 30 experiences about, hey, I want to go on a trip. What next? That's what I want to give everybody in book form. So I'm, I'm happy to do that. And also, it, I should mention that when people come home for the trip, they often experience reverse culture shock or they feel the hangover from their trip. They just had the time of their life and now it's back to the grind. And that's not great for everyone. People can have some, uh, let's call them side effects. So yeah, that's, that's what the Millennial Travel Guidebook is all about. To be honest, no, I don't have a release date, hopefully by the end of 2019. Okay. Sounds good. And then also, you've, you've had a, a very successful podcast. You have over 100,000 downloads. I hope to be there someday. Can you explain a little bit about uh, your podcast, what it is, and what, what it's basically about? Sure, sure. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you were you were an awesome guest, Cody. And uh, yeah, we're approaching 200,000 downloads now. And uh, yeah, the Live Different podcast is just stories very similar to this, actually, the conversation that we're having where I try to dive in with the most successful people I can get into contact with and figure out what it is that makes them tick. What are the actionable things that people can do to put this person's secrets of success into practice in the listener's own life. And I just try to have a fun conversation, be really laid back and get, you know, just get people to open up and talk. And so, yeah, some, some are, are more formal. You mentioned that I had the, the former president of Starbucks on there. And yeah, sure. When, you, when you're speaking to someone who's 65 years old and has uh, tons of business experience in a publicly traded company, yeah, the, the conversation goes like that. But then there, there are other people whose conversations uh, have been more laid back, who I've enjoyed equally as much, uh, like, your, like your own episodes, and just people who I've developed relationships over the, the years through under 30 CEO through my travels. And yeah, now we get a lot of 
a lot of people coming coming our way. David Allen uh, asked to to be on the podcast again from Getting Things Done, and just had an amazing relationship expert John Gray who came on. So yeah, people from all walks of life in in health, performance, travel, and business. Oh, that's great. And as I mentioned, all any links, episodes, books will be listed in the show notes. And as a final, is there anything you'd like to leave my listeners with on mindfulness, travel, or anything else? Wow. I would just say that people should go out and just figure out what makes them tick and do more of that, I would say. If people can take a trip and if you really enjoyed it, well, maybe you should consider taking another trip. It sounds very simple, but again, this can be, hey, you could check out a yoga class or a CrossFit class. And if you like that, life is short. So do things that you enjoy, especially if they open up your mind. You can read more about them, learn more about them. As I mentioned, you have the world's information at your fingertips and is being exchanged at this incredible rate. So we live in a just a, a fantastic time to be alive and, and opportunities are endless. So I would say take advantage. That would be my my biggest message. Yeah. Uh, try new experiences. Like his life is short, right? Yes, sir. Well, thank you again, Matt. It's been a pleasure having you. Cody, it's been a pleasure as well. Thanks again.